And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show, in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time to come, we're going to be talking about travel. And you can get in on that discussion if you email FromerTravelShow at Yahoo.com. If you have a question, or perhaps you are in the travel industry, we may have you on the show, either to ask that question or to do a segment for with us. Other ways to get in touch with us, and this has to do with just getting the best travel information out there. We invite you to visit our website, which is fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. We invite you to follow us on social media. Our handles are at Fromers for Twitter, for Instagram, for Pinterest, and for Facebook. And we definitely invite you to go into your local bookstore and pick up one of our guidebooks. We are very proud of those. We use the best local journalists to write them. Now, Pauline... The most spectacular travel activity is surely the African safari, and that is precisely the travel adventure on which you and your family went traveling during the recent Christmas uh, break. Yes, and I should it, say we, we pre-taped this show, so it was recent when we're talking. Pauline, <laughs> right. did the adventure live up to expectations? Yes, yes. It's interesting. A lot of people told me that they found the African safari to be a life-changing activity. I did not, but I enjoyed it immensely. The, the reason they make that claim is that they are seeing the world as it used to be prior to the time when human beings came to inhabit it. Yeah. And, he, and to, you too. I know you an, felt that when you were on yours. Was I, it a life-changing experience for you? Semi-life-changing. <laughs> semi-life-changing. It was very exciting. Yes. I, I could answer absolutely yes. It was not. It was maybe not a life-changing experience, but it lived up to every one of our expectations. Now, Pauline, where did you go, and why did you choose that particular destination? Well, where you go on safari really depends on when you can travel. And because I have a kid in college and another one in high school and a husband who's a college professor, the only time all of our vacations lined up was over the Christmas holidays. So I knew I had to do it at the end of December. And there are certain parts of Africa where if you go, it's not ideal. It might be raining too hard uh, or there might not be much happening. And so we realized because of the timing that we should be looking at East Africa. So that meant either Kenya or Tanzania. And it meant that you would go to South Africa as well. Not, no, we didn't go to South Africa. I'm not talking about the Union of South Africa. We I'm could have gone about, to South Africa, yes, I guess, but I hear it's very hot at this time the, of the year. the southern portion Well, we of were the in East continent. Africa. We were in East Africa in Tanzania. Right. And was it rainy? Well, that's the funny thing. Uh, it was supposed to be the tail end of the rainy season, and all of the advice said that we would get maybe an hour a day, maybe some time at night. 
but because of climate change, we had torrential rains. Uh-huh. Luckily, only at night. But one night, we were in the safari camp. And uh, it rained so hard. I got scared of flooding. I got sc- because <laughs> the windows weren't actually glass. They were mosquito netting. And so we were actually wading through water to go to the bathroom. The, the rain was so hard. And I was thinking, is there a river nearby or do we have to worry about flooding? Because it, it really felt biblical how hard it was raining that night. And yet, anyway. and, and yet, you put up uh, the, during the daytime. You suffered no, n- not at all from the rainy from the rainy season. Well, one morning we had to uh, leave a little later than we normally would have because it was raining, and there was other times where it rained in the mid afternoon. But on the classic safari, at least in Tanzania, you usually get up around five thirty in the morning and you leave and you go on safari from six a.m. as the sun is rising till about ten thirty eleven. Uh, And that way you see the animals when they're pretty active. And then you have the afternoon at leisure, and then you go out again uh, in the late afternoon, early evening. Uh, So that's the classic, and we did have some rain in the mid-afternoon, but it didn't matter because we were just hanging out at the tent camp at that point. Pauline, you made a point out of the fact that you went to Tanzania for your African safari. A lot of people will say that they preferred going to Kenya for an African safari. I think it's one half of one, you know, it's, it's it's, it's kind of the same experience from what I understand. They share the Serengeti. Uh, they share the same ecosystems. They're, they're neighbors. In fact, when we were uh, in our last destination in uh, on the mainland of, of Tanzania, yeah. we were within a half an hour's drive of Kenya. So I, I don't think it, it really would have been that different. Do you know that I, I agree with you on that? I remember my own African safari, which was to Kenya, and yet at some point in the course of the safari, we went across the border into Tanzania. Right. And in fact, I think we, we saw hippos at that time. We went to a river-like place, and in the water were hippos. And I that, think the, that was thrilling. The main difference is Kenya has had some problems recently, whereas Tanzania was fascinating talking with our guides and the other other people I met, for the first time since its founding, the president of Tanzania is not corrupt. <laughs> and so people are really, really excited about this president. Apparently, on his first day in office, he he walked into a local hospital where doctors who apparently were charging uh, patients extra to get the tests that they needed, even though it was supposed to be a publicly funded hospital. He walked in there. He found people lying on the floor rather than in beds. He said, we need to put money here. And within several months, he cleaned up that hospital. He he fired a whole lot of corrupt officials. His five-year term, first term, is coming to an end next year. And everybody I talked to felt like he's made a sea change in terms of the governance he, of Tanzania. He deserves re-election, they wa- feel? Well, I, I met one guide who wants to make him president for life, but <laughs> that's never a good idea. <laughs> that is not the, but, the way that we want to see yes, it happen. Yes. Pauline, how did you get to Tanzania? How did you get there? Well, we flew Air Kenya. It was a 12 and a half hour flight on the way there, a 14 and a half hour flight on the and way back. And a non-stop flight? It was a non-stop flight to Nairobi, and then we had three hours in the Nairobi airport and then we had a 
40 minute flight to Kilimanjaro. You did not have to go via a European country. It used to be that to get to Kenya or Tanzania, you had to fly first to London or to Paris and then take a plane. You know, a lot of people seem to be flying through Amsterdam uh, to get there, but uh, who we met, and they were a little jealous that we had this long nonstop to Nairobi. But it was, yeah. It was nice. It was a nice flight. It was it was not too bad. A terrible choice of movies. Uh, the Kenyans have strange choice <laughs> in terms of what was available on the airplane. But, you know, when we were – so we flew to Kilimanjaro, which is the tallest mountain in all of Africa. And, and you were we, able to see Kilimanjaro we from far away? We were very lucky when we were flying by it on the way home. Oh, we could see, see the it. snow-capped peak. It was incredible to be in Africa and see snow. Uh, and I'll tell you about it at the end, but we did a little bit of hiking on Kilimanjaro, too, at the end of the trip. Uh, but we went to this lovely uh, resort uh, for our first night in country uh, in the town of... Um, Oh my goodness. Was it Arusha? Arusha, yes. Arusha, of course. We went it, it's well known. In Arusha, it, it had been this, ta- this, it had been one of the first European farms in East Africa, run by a Dutch farmer in the 1800s. And now it's this lovely resort. And after dinner, we were sitting in the lounge. The girls were playing backgammon. And suddenly a guy walks in and turns to Lonnie and goes, Hey! And Lonnie looks up, and it's a buddy of his from college <laughs> in Tanzania. In Tanzania, out and of this, the entire globe of the universe, the two of them met. And uh, <laughs> he was there because he had a big birthday, and for his birthday, he and his wife decided to to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. And this is a really buff guy. But he got so sick halfway up uh, that he threw up for six hours, had to be evacuated out. He had spent the day at the hospital. He was just back at the resort. His wife was still climbing the mountain. He said to her, honey, you do this. Uh, So he was spending a couple of days at the resort. So we didn't get to hang out with him much because he still was ghastly sick. Uh, But what an incredible it shows how small the world is i couldn't it believe is. it it surely is now you you went to tanzania you uh, got got there by changing planes in nairobi in uh-huh. kenya you went to tanzania and what were the accommodations that were made available to you what were they like well the first one as i said was this lovely resort uh the food was incredible uh, we started with like a pumpkin incredibly soup good incredibly bad? good good incredibly good uh i was shocked. Uh, So we had dinner that night, and we were wandering around the grounds. We could have played croquet. We could have gone boating at this little resort. And then the next day, we drove to our first safari camp, which was in Tarangir National Park. I'm looking at the at the uh, stopwatch. We have to take our first break, but uh, when we come back, we're going to talk safari. Be right back. Back again for more of the travel show. And Pauline, when we left 
you you had just uh, experienced your first night at a lovely little resort in Tanzania. Yes. The next morning you got into what? Into we a We got vehicle? into a van, although at this resort there were these incredible, I think they're called colobus monkeys, uh, which are very rare. They're endangered. You've probably seen them. They're black and white with this long stringy fur and they were howling from the trees all around us. So it felt like we were already on safari. And we never saw those monkeys again. They're very rare. So we were told that we were very lucky. So we had this lovely drive, a three-hour drive to Tarangir, where we had a very, very good driver who's also a guide who told us about Tanzania. The fact that it has 120 plus, I think it might be 128 different tribes and until 1962 or so everybody in in Tanzania spoke their own tribal language there was no common language until just a generation ago in 1962 and then they made Swahili the national language which is of course the language used throughout most of the rest of Africa I would for many parts of Africa yes. absolutely and and interestingly Unlike places like Rwanda and other places, there was no dominant tribe. Uh, so there hasn't been the problems tribally that you've seen in other parts of Africa. I mean, you look at South Africa, where the apartheid system, the Afrikaners had purposefully pitted different tribal groups against one another, and those divisions still exist. In Tanzania, people are intermarrying, people are living in different places. It's been pretty peaceful among the various tribes. Now, the downside of that is they're losing the tribal languages and many, many tribes are losing their traditions. Um, it's been harder to keep those cultures intact, although we did see some. And as we were driving to the National Park, we saw a lot of tall, thin people uh, with these beautiful robes draped across them who were herding cattle and goats. And who were those, Dad? Do you know? Uh, no, I don't know who they are, but did you have... They were the Maasai. The Maasai? We saw, well, we saw a lot of Maasai you, you, tribe, tribal folks. You see the Maasai, of course, in Kenya when, when we see them. Yes. Did, did you ever have occasion to actually meet up with those people, to we talk did with them, in to our, them? At our second uh, safari camp, we spent one day doing, uh, well, half a day doing a tribal visit. I'm blanking on the name of the tribe, but it was a tribe that farms and that also practices polygamy. And so a fourth wife, who was very lovely, showed us around. She showed us her her small, very small house with a ceiling. I'm five foot three, and it was scraping the top of my head. Uh, it was all made of twigs, and she demonstrated farm implements and showed us the weapons her husband uses to hunt and then she gathered a lot of women and they all we all danced together oh, it right. could have been terribly tur touristy and maybe it was but it felt very genuine she it, they were very very lovely and they explained the dances and were so proud of their culture that it didn't feel hokey it really it really felt like a real cultural exchange. At one point, she showed me where she and the other three wives sleep. They sleep in a different uh, house than the husband does. 
And I had learned a little Swahili, and so I said to her as she lay down, Lala Salam, which means which sleep means tight, which means <laughs> sleep well. And she laughed. She just broke up laughing. She, she wasn't understood expecting, what you were saying. She, oh, yes. She wasn't <laughs> expecting me to speak Swahili to her. Now, Pauline, what were the accommodations like in this next uh, uh so this Masai, was uh, this area. was part of so this was a national park which has several tent camps in it and we were in a tent camp owned by the company Nomad which has several camps all over Africa and it was really lovely it used to be a mobile tent camp but now it's permanent so we were in this beautiful little house we each had our own little house with an outdoor shower uh, enclosed uh, and a beautiful bed with with uh, mosquito netting on all sides and it, it was really really quite lovely uh, so so that was our first being in a national park first it was different than our next one that meant that we could not drive off the road we had to stay on the roads uh, but we were able to do a night safari but when we got to Tarangir our driver let us off and gave us to another driver who worked for the the tent camp and uh he took us on our first safari right then and there we didn't realize that the drive from the gates to the national park to our tent camp would be filled with so many critters now let's talk about those critters because that's very important when many yes. people go on an african safari they talk about seeing the so-called big Five. Right. Would you tell our listeners what is the big five, and did you see them? We didn't. We only saw four of the big five. <laughs> four of the, the big five are buffalo, leopard, lion, elephant, and uh, rhino. And we did not see rhinos, unfortunately. Those are endangered. But and you, very saw rare sightings. you saw the other four. You saw the other. We saw the other four. In fact, within minutes, Tarangir is known as home of the elephants. They have done a very good job. Um, uh, rebuilding their elephant herds. And then, you know, I had been always, I'd always been under the misimpression that it was better to go in the dry season because people say there's less foliage you have to see the animals through uh, than in the green season. We were there in the green season. But the nice thing about the green season is that's when they have their babies. And so we saw all of these little baby animals of all different types. And the first thing we saw was this giant herd of elephants with all of these baby elephants. And they just were majestic. It was just incredible. Um, and we drove up to them. This being a national park, there were other vans. So suddenly there were six vans and we're all looking at the elephants. <laughs> at the same baby <laughs> at, elephants. At the same baby elephants. And then we saw a warthog. A warthog, they they love mud, as all hogs do, I guess. And he had this tiny little baby. It was probably like maybe six inches long and they were cavorting in a puddle in the middle of the road and we just kind of stat, sat there and watched them through our binoculars. We have to take another break but please don't turn that dial. We'll be right back after these messages.
Welcome back to the Travel Show. We are talking with Pauline about the just-concluded African safari on which she and her family uh, spent the Christmas vacation. Pauline, you, you ended up by telling us that you saw four of the big five. You saw lions, leopards, uh, elephants. And uh, buffalo. And, 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 and Cape buffaloes, as they're called. Did you ever feel unsafe in getting close to any of those animals? Yes, but that was more in the second camp. The second camp was in the Serengeti. It was a private camp, and they were known for their lions. Oh, my. And we were driving into the camp in a totally open-sided van when we saw a lion a, a, with a big mane lying between, lying beside a lioness, looking very contented. I'm not sure what they were doing, but they looked very happy. And we drove up to them. And then because that was the private camp, we drove off the road. And we were as far as, from them as I am from you, which is about four feet away. Oh, my. And oh I was my. kind of shrinking back and in my seat. And you did not even have a door on Didn't have a door. I was, was sitting right open. there. I was shrinking back. <laughs> and the guide said, don't worry, you're okay. Because literally that lion could have stood up, up and jumped in. It would have taken two seconds. Why did the driver of your van seem so confident? What was he? What did he well, know that you didn't know? Lions during the daytime, it's not when they hunt. Uh, they, they hunt at night and they, they looked so uh, soporific. They looked so contented and lazy that he just, I guess, knowing animal behavior, he felt that they would be okay, that they wouldn't attack us. The, I've also read that sometimes the, the animals are so used to these vans coming through that they don't really notice them much, which I'm not sure if that's the case. But anyway, that's what we were told. Pauline, did the driver of your van carry a pistol or a rifle with him in case one of these animals should get too close to the tourists? Well, at Terran Gear, we did a night safari. Oh, my. And, and that there? is when the animals are hunting. Right. So we had two extra people in our van. Most Mostly it was the driver who was also the guide. Right. And um, we had be wonderful, incredibly insightful men driving us around who just had a second sense for finding the animals and had so much interesting things to share. But um, at the night safari, we had our driver, our usual driver, plus two other guys. One guy from the National Parks who was a guard with a huge rifle. And one guy who was our spotter who had a massive um, spotlight that he would shine as we you know, drove down the road in right. utter pitch blackness. And he said to us, look for glinting eyes. That's Ooh. what we're looking for. We're looking for the eyes of the animals glinting Ooh. at us in the dark. And we found a lion that way. And we followed her until she was going, roar, roar. she was looking for her mate. And we, we kind of followed her until she found her dude. And then they kind of <laughs> loped off into the darkness. We also saw my favorite little animal. I never even knew this existed. There's this little antelope. Its body is the size of a house cat. It's called a deek deek, and it's this the cutest little antelope you've ever seen, and it would scurry this way and that. Um, I'm trying to think what else we saw. We saw leopards. You could you could spot the leopards because they were always up in the trees, and you would have to look for their flickering tails. They kind of um, blended in a bit. 
And why, why do they go up in the in the, in the air? Do they because they, they hunt stay? from up there? They can they get a better view. I see of of what they're going to hunt. Uh, and one day in the second park, which was the Serengeti. Well, so the Serengeti is notable at this time of year because it's the wildebeest migration. These are these wacky animals. They look like something Maurice Sendak of where the wild things are would have created. They have these faces that look like moose, kind of, but very soulful moose. And they have round horns. They don't have antlers like moose do. They have round horns like bulls. And then they have bodies like very spindly goats. They have really, really thin legs. And they go across Africa eating everything in their path. And when they've eaten all the greens, they move on to the next place. And when we got to Serengeti, we got off our little plane, we got into our vehicle, we're, we're driving down the road 10 minutes, and suddenly there's this massive stampede of wildebeest. Literally, I think a thousand wildebeest. As many as a thousand? Yes, of them? absolutely. Ran across the, the, the road in front of us. Um, it was interesting. That tent camp was a mobile tent camp. They're in different places de- depending on where the animals are, where we stayed. And this time we were staying in front of this huge meadow. And at night, our first night, all of these wildebeest were hanging out in the meadow. And the lovely people who run the camp, they they have a a campfire that they set up. And the sun was setting, and I was sitting in front of the campfire having a cocktail. And suddenly, 20 feet away, two lions wander through. Oh, my. my. And the lions kept me up all night because they were hunting the wildebeest in that meadow. And the interesting thing about the wildebeest is they're buddies with the zebras, and so there were also zebras in these packs, although they didn't seem to stampede like the wildebeest did. They they were a little cooler. We also saw the, giraffes. The, the, the wildebeest are the prey of the lions. In order the prey to, of the lions, and, and the also lions the prey of, of African citizens. That's oh the my. that's the sad thing about wildebeest. Yeah, they're they they're eaten a lot. I don't think they're endangered though. And we saw this wacky one day when we were in Serengeti. We stopped, and there were these two giraffes fighting each other and the way they fought each other was they would whap each other with their necks and it went on for a good 10 minutes of, they you could, could hear, wrap their, their necks around the they neck didn't, the, they didn't the wrap their necks they would just hit each other with the <laughs> necks and it kept going on apparently they have harems there's a male giraffe and he's got a lot of female giraffes and they were fighting for a harem I'm looking at the clock we have to say goodbye for this segment we'll be right back Pauline, we've heard about your adventures in the Serengeti, but where else did you go on your African safari? So we were in Terengir National Park. We were in Serengeti at a private reserve. We were uh, with a company there called Legendary, I think, Legends, uh, and they were very good. Uh, and then we decided to, to try something else African, and we went 
to Zanzibar. The name alone sends shivers up <laughs> yes. your spine. Yes. Zanzibar. 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 What is Zanzibar? Zanzibar is an island off the coast of Tanzania. And because it has one of the best natural harbors in all of Africa, the best definitely in East Africa, in that it's defensible and that it's very deep, for 2,000 plus years, this was an incredibly important part of the trading routes that went between the interior of Africa, the Middle East, and the Indian subcontinent. Including the... the uh exchange, unfortunately, of human slaves. Yes. Uh, Zanzibar had the biggest slave market in East Africa, and it actually has the, uh, unfortunately, uh, it was also the last slave market in the world to close. Are there any vestiges of this slave market? Well, interestingly enough, it closed when the British took over. Uh, Because they were the... Among the first of the countries to outlaw human slavery. At that point, of course, they made millions from it before that point. But anyway, so there had been a very um, forward-thinking British pastor who really fought for it to close, who lived in Zanzibar. And then he uh, spearheaded the creation of a church where the slave market was. But they have a very moving kind of pit in which they've put statues of slaves uh, as a memorial, and they've recreated what had been these notorious slave-holding pens, these places with very low ceilings and almost no windows, where people were shoved by the hundreds and, and had so little oxygen that people would just die in these holding pens. Oh and they have a very, very good museum telling the history uh, the, the tragic history of of the slave trade and uh, of the slave trade specifically in Zanzibar. Um, very moving to see. Zanzibar itself has a fascinating history. As I was saying, 2,000 years old, year old it was uh, run by the Portuguese for a part of its history. And then the sultans of Oman came in and they ran it and they introduced spice farming, which is why we think of Zanzibar as the spice island. And so one of the things you do in Zanzibar is you go and visit spice farms, uh, which was absolutely fascinating. Did you taste any of these spices? I did. Well, they showed me different spices, and I had to kind of guess what they were, and I learned all about what their medicinal properties are. Like cloves apparently are still used by dentists in Tanzania to numb people's mouths before dental procedures. They just use cloves, Uh, nutmeg and cinnamon and all kinds of different uh, spices are still grown there. The cloves from Zanzibar are considered the finest cloves in the world. So that was very interesting. Stone Town is the historic part of the island. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and they have these 
beautiful, very ornate doors, these massive doors in front of these mansions. You don't get to see really the beauty of Stone Town except for in these doors because the, the exteriors of the buildings were pretty plain, but we did get to go into some of the interiors which have an open courtyard and are much more ornate. Um, and then the Sultan of Oman was defeated by the British and the British were there for a while and then in the 1960s it became part of mainland Tanzania after a very bloody revolution uh, during which I think something like 10,000 wealthy people fled and left their farms to the local government but Zanzibar interestingly enough is still self-run in a certain way they have their own government separate from the government of Tanzania and they do things very differently Zanzibar is 95% Muslim whereas mainland Tanzania is is probably 80% Christian. So a very, very different uh, feeling there. I, I was woken up at 5 a.m. by the call to prayer co- issuing from the mosque, which issues five times a day. And all of the women had long, beautiful veils on their heads and, and very modest clothing. And it was a very, really fascinating. And interestingly enough, all of our fellow tourists there were either Russian or Italian. That seems to be the people who go to Zanzibar. There are very beautiful white sand beach resorts where people from Russia and Italy go a lot. Uh, they, they go swimming in the ocean? They go swimming, these, uh, they beaches. go snorkeling, scuba diving, doing a lot of beachy things. Um, we found that the culture was more interesting. That's why we were there, although we had a teenager with us, so we did spend a day at the beach. I'm looking at the clock. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Travel Show. We now have three and a half minutes left to wrap up the story of the just-completed African safari that Pauline and her family have just returned from. Pauline, based on this experience, what can you now tell us as to the best time to go on a safari? Well, I think, as I said at the beginning, it really depends on where in Africa you're going to go. Each, Each country has a different season, and frankly, I think you can find... A good safari every month of the year, but where you go will vary because of that. And you, think, you went on your safari during a time when most people would warn you against going at that no, time. No, no, and no, no. You, you had a wonderful time. I don't think you? anybody would warn us against. I mean, really? it, well, uh, things are changing because of climate change. The weather was different than it traditionally is. Traditionally, it should have been just fine. It was a little rainier than we expected, but that that turned out okay. Pauline, was there anything else about the safari that you would like to discuss? Well, I was really surprised at how inactive it was. You always think of this as adventure travel, but for every day, we were mostly sitting in a van being driven places. We did not end up doing a walking safari. Although that was on our itinerary, and surely you had no rifles with you. Like, Hemingway well, if we had, if there. we had done a walking safari, we we would have had somebody with a rifle with us. I, I don't think I was expected to bring my own. I think if I had planned it again, knowing what I know, 
I think I would have maybe chosen to also visit more of a jungle setting in Tanzania. I think I would have maybe added another one so I could have seen uh, monkeys more up close. I did. We did see some baboons and we saw some monkeys elsewhere, but I love monkeys. I find them fascinating. And so I, I would have liked to see them more. And the other thing I learned was my husband's family are birders. And so he was very interested in seeing the birds, and that surprised our guides. Apparently, most people who go on safari are only interested in seeing the big animals. But the birds were absolutely spectacular, some of the most beautiful creatures I've ever seen. And luckily, we had two sets of binoculars with us, which we could share so we could see their details up close. But these birds... They looked like they were costumed by Cirque du Soleil. They were so flamboyant and gorgeous. And Tanzania gets a thousand birds. And considering there are only about 10,000 species in the world, to have 1,000 species in Tanzania, that means that the variety of bird life is extraordinary. So... If you ever go on safari, dear listener, make sure you bring your own binoculars and don't don't just look at the big things. I also got fascinated by dung beetles. Dung beetles are the one of the strongest creatures on earth. They push 50%, 55, 50, 50 times their own weight in these little balls of dung <laughs> that they push around. They're like the Sisyphus of the the, uh, tra- the animal world. Anyway, I'm looking at the clock. We have to say goodbye. Go to Africa. It really is spectacular. And thank you for listening. To those who are traveling, a hearty... Bon voyage. Bon voyage.